everyone, and welcome to Through the Void, episode two, many, many, many months later. Um, I tried to fil- film this episode a few times in between, and it just was not time yet, and things would not flow. Um, it really amazes me, actually, to sit down now and realize how much I've grown over the past, I guess, six to eight months at this point. Um, the ease with which I can sit in front of the camera now compared to when I first did the first episode. Um, after I released that first episode, I got a huge vulnerability hangover. Um, I had never so openly shared myself so publicly before. And after that, I was sort of overwhelmed by the like rawness of that feeling. And so many of you reached out with very kind feedback on the episodes and saying, you know, what parts you connected with and and looking forward to connecting more. Um, But honestly, just after that, I was not ready to delve back into that space. It took me a long time. Um, But here we are now, and I am much more grounded than I have been, honestly, maybe ever. (laughs) And so I guess I'll tell you about um, what the past few months has been and what I have been working through in that time. Um, When I recorded that first episode, I was still living in Pennsylvania at the time. Um, And as I had said before, I had been living very nomadically before that, but I was at a rest period in my hometown. Um, And after that, um, during that time, my, my girlfriend was in Korea visiting family. And when she came back to the States, we started traveling pretty much immediately. I picked her up in Philadelphia and we went immediately to Connecticut (laughs) or to Rhode Island rather and um, then up to Maine and back down to New York and back to Pennsylvania for the holidays and then um, we went to Florida for a time uh, also uh, staying with family there and working with a child for a little bit Um, and then we began a cross-country road trip that we set on Uh, We set out on without a destination in mind. Um, Our intention when we set out on that road trip was to find where we wanted to be. Um, I think we both realized that our time on the East Coast was coming to a close, but we didn't really know where was the place that we were looking for. Um, So we just set out on the journey and allowed ourselves to meander sort of step by step, just picking places along the way. Um, We spent Christmas and New Year's in Denver with a close friend of mine and... Then we ended up in New Mexico. We went to um, Santa Fe, and then we went to Sedona, um, to Las Vegas, to San Diego, and then we ended up in Los Angeles, um, where we decided to stay. So we, oh, I suppose our journeys were not that, um, that long, but um, I spent the past few months just bouncing around state to state, place to place. Um, and then settling in here, and this is the first time I've had my own space um, ever, really. Uh, I had a, at one other point in time, but it was under very different circumstances. And then prior to that, I had really just subletted or stayed with um, other loved ones. So this is the first time that I really was getting the chance to nest. Um, still very much in process. You can probably see my mattress on the floor. Um, <laughs> I don't have very much furniture or anything like that, but... Um, In that process of beginning to ground for the first time in a very long time, I found a lot of things rising to the surface within me to be addressed that I had never had the capacity to deal with 
prior to now because I, I just did not have the space or the time to do it. Um, so the first couple of months after moving in were actually very rough for me. I went into like a really deep shadow period and um, it was difficult for me to share anything or to connect with anyone. And I'm blessedly starting to come out of that period now. So here we are. But it's interesting because I had set the intention actually to, to make the second episode. Um, well, I think at one point I said I was going to talk about psychedelics, but I had also told myself that I would make the second episode about Christianity. And I had attempted to film that episode a couple of different times and had no luck with it. Um, and that's because I had a really deep reckoning uh, to move through these past couple of months with some of, of processing religious trauma, um, which I know some of you who are listening can connect with and have experienced that as well. Um, I think I talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but I think I'll just, you know, I'm just going to flow with what wants to come out now. Um, so I left the church when I was a teenager. Um, my older siblings had also come out as queer. I was the, I was the third in line. Um, so my oldest sister had come out when I was in the eighth grade. Um, I remember she came out sometime over Christmas break because I said I remembered that um, I came back from Christmas break and my sister was gay. Um, and I don't really remember much about how I processed that at the time, but I think I was aware of the fact that it was difficult for the rest of my family to process. Um, and then... When I was in the ninth grade, I think I was still kind of involved in church, and I, I even went to like a church summer camp. That actually was a pivotal time for me. So it's, it's interesting, right? When I was a child, I really, really loved church. I loved it. It was my whole world. And I, it just, that's it. It was my whole world, and it was my whole reality, and I found a great amount of purpose there, and I had community there, and it was really beautiful for me. It was as I started to approach my adolescence that things became less comfortable. Um, I was getting more involved with the teachings within the youth group space as opposed to like the children's space, right? Where in children's Sunday school messaging was, we learned Bible stories and things, but the messaging was much more around like, you know, Jesus loves you and you're loved unconditionally and all of that sort of stuff. The youth messaging at the time was much more evangelical, right? So the, the church that I grew up in was Methodist, but um, the, the youth teachings leaned more on the evangelical side, um, which, you know, I don't know the specific, actually, delineations between denominations, but the evangelical movement is much more around, like, saving people, saving souls. Your mission is to convert people to Christianity, to save them from eternal damnation, right? So there's actually a lot more threat in those teachings as opposed to just like, you are loved by God. It's like, hell is real and you might go to it, so you better save your soul. Um, I do not remember how many times I have been baptized because I was baptized any time there was an opportunity to be. Um, and in, at least in my branch of ev evangelicalism, that was really encouraged um, and you were celebrated for choosing to like recommit to your faith. So oftentimes I think I was engaging with 
certain performative behaviors in order to receive attention as a child, attention and praise. Um, so it started to get more, more challenging for me in that space because the teachings became more intense. Um, and there was also a major emphasis on purity, right? On maintaining your virginity um, because your body belongs to God and to your future spouse. And the worst thing that you could possibly do would be to, um, to tarnish yourself in that way, to give your body away to someone. Um, and that's like an irreparable change to make, right? Um, and then you sort of ruin yourself for your future spouse. And there's all sorts of messaging around that. Um, I, had, I had received some of that when I was actually even younger than that age because my sisters were older than me. So they had been involved in some of that when I was still much younger. And I obviously as a child did not have any sort of discernment. I didn't even really understand what sex or sexuality was. I just saw that my sisters were receiving praise for performing certain virtues, right? And I wanted to model them. So I remember asking for a promise ring when I was young. I don't know exactly how old I was, but I was I was young and I know for sure that I did not understand what, what that meant or what sex was or what that sort of promise was. I just knew it was a good thing for Christian girls to do. And I thought I was an extra good Christian girl for doing it so early. <laughs> um. So I started receiving a lot of messaging like that and it, it became more complicated for me. And then I also, I was starting to encounter social challenges for myself. So when I was young, I, I sometimes was on the outside because I was nearly fundamentalist sometimes in the expression of my beliefs. Um, and that obviously in school and things like that, I was encountering kids from different backgrounds who could not connect with me on that level. And I think sometimes thought I was very weird. Um, but it didn't really affect me very much when I was a kid, or at least it didn't, it didn't bother me at all, that sense of, of being on the outside. I had one very close friend at school, and then I had the rest of my community through church, so it didn't really matter. Um, but when I reached middle school, there started to be more of a divide in my ability to connect with other kids, right? Because most of the other kids there, some of them were, were Christian, but even if they were, a lot of them were not as like devout, I would say, as I had been. Um, I was like writing Bible verses on construction paper and crayon and like taping that to the outside of my locker at that point in time. So it was very much like an outward part of my identity. Um, and that really, that kept me separate from other kids in a way. And especially because in middle school is when people really start developing like crushes, people start dating, like you have these early um, developments of, of teenage sexuality and, and interest in relationship and things like that. So as other kids started to blossom into that, I started to feel more and more of a divide between me and them. Um, and I had also been taught like a lot of judgment of like secular things. Um, so a lot of things that other kids were interested in, I was very biased towards. I thought those things were unholy or less than or stupid or any number of things like that. So it made it very difficult for me to connect with my peers. And at that same time, right, I was beginning to transition into the youth group at my church where I also was not connecting very well with the other kids. Um, and I remember a specific time other than the like familial changes, right, which I'll, I'll keep getting into in a minute, but I remember a, a, 
this was later actually. So I'll, I'll pause there. And there was just starting to experience some tension in that space. I also was really involved in community theater at that time. So that was a space where I found a, like a really open and accepting community. Um, and actually where I think I met the first gay people that I had ever at least been aware were queer. Um, when I was in eighth grade, my oldest sister came out and I watched the impact that that had on my family. And it was like difficult for my family to come to terms with. And, and there was a real question of like, what does this mean? And, you know, isn't this something that's bad? And how do you deal with someone in your family who does something that you think is bad? Right. And I, for me, I loved my sister and I loved my sister unconditionally. So it was sort of the big, the beginnings of some doubts for me, but not really on a conscious level. Ninth grade, I was still very involved in the church. Um, and I remember I went to this Christian summer camp over the summer. And I really could not tell you why, but I had a terrible time at that camp. I had a horrible time. And I remember looking around and just being like, you people do not love me. You do not love me. You do not care about me. And that's what really irked me because I the part of the religion that I believed so deeply in was the unconditional love. And I was, as I was rising into my adolescence, I was more and more beginning to notice the hypocrisy um, in a lot of the people who were trying to teach me those things or who were telling me how I needed to be or who I needed to be and noticing that they did not really embody unconditional love at all. And so it was raising a lot of questions for me. When I was in my sophomore year of high school, um, my middle sister came out, which I think is really what started to bring my family out of the church altogether. And I also remember going to, a, it was a specific night at youth group that my sophomore year of high school, I had become friends with this girl who was an atheist. And she was the first person that I think I ever knew who identified as an atheist. I knew people who didn't believe in God, but it didn't mean anything to them. But she really, her family actively identified as atheists. And that was a very foreign concept to me, but she and I had gotten very close and she was a great friend to me. She was like one of the most supportive friends that I had, I had had at that point in time. And I remember going to a specific night at youth group where they were saying that we should strive to only have Christian friends because anyone who's not a Christian is gonna lead you astray. And I remember looking around the room at people that I had known since I was in diapers. And I thought, my friend who's an atheist has been a better friend to me in the past four or five months than any of you have ever been to me in my entire life. And I thought, I just don't know how that could be true. Why are you telling me that my Christian friends are better than my non-Christian friends when I can tell you my atheist friend loves me a lot more than any of you do? And that for me, I think was the, that was the moment where I said, no, this isn't for me anymore. Um, and then as I said, my middle sister came out and I think both of my parents started to distance themselves from the church. And then I, I eventually just stopped going altogether. And that was that for me. I, I closed the door on that chapter and I also became deeply depressed after that and was beginning to go through my own sexual awakening. Um, and I never connected any of this, right? I didn't have the understanding of, of what being raised so immersed in religion had done to me. I didn't realize how sheltered I was 
from the rest of the world. I didn't realize how much I was taught to other the secular world. Um, and so I didn't understand why I felt disconnected from my peers. I didn't understand why I felt so much like shame and sadness and grief and all of these things. I had no, I had no framework for it. I just didn't know. Um, but looking back on it, what I can say is that I was, I was leaving the, the like biggest community I had ever known. And I had nothing to hold on to as I left that and I had nothing to transition into. I had like stopped doing theater at that point. So all I really had was school where I mostly felt pretty disconnected. I was involved in art and music and things there and that gave me something to hold on to. But it was not, it was not deep enough for me. So there was a really deep depression there. And what I also didn't understand is that I was beginning my own sexual awakening around that time. And yes, I was like, I was coming through a sexual awakening in terms of queerness. Though, because my sisters had come before me, that was not as much, it was a little bit of an issue for sure. And I'm sure like deeply subconsciously it was. But for me, it was much less about my sexual orientation and it was more about having sexuality at all because I had been taught repeatedly that sexuality was dangerous, that the desires of the body were, were evil, right? And unholy, and they were something to be resisted. Um, I was taught that, that abstinence and purity was like the pinnacle of, of being a good Christian girl. So having sexual thoughts or feelings at all brought immense shame and discomfort for me. Um, and that's something that still to this day I'm dealing with some of the ramifications of. Like that programming runs really, really, really deep. Um, so that, that was starting to happen at that point in time. And I was being taught things. Like I used to go to these Christian music festivals over the summer. If any of you are from Pennsylvania, I was going to Creation Fest. Which when I was a kid, I thought was Christian Coachella. Like I thought it was huge. <laughs> but it turns out it was like just a regional thing. Um, and I remember being taught there by some NFL player that having sex was like gluing two pieces of construction paper together. And then he like gave his whole talk. And then at the end, once it had dried, he like tried to rip the two pieces apart. And he was like, see how pieces of this one are stuck to this one. Um, I know other people have received like chewed gum metaphors. Like if you have sex before marriage, you're like a piece of chewed up gum or any of these other sorts of like you permanently ruin yourself sort of ideology. So even though I didn't necessarily consciously agree with those things, I really deeply internalized the, the shame of those things. So that, that was coming out of it in adolescence. But after that, I just, I closed the door on it and I didn't even think about, I just didn't think about it anymore. I was just like, I used to be Christian and now I'm not. Um, and even as I began to explore my spirituality in my adulthood, it wasn't necessarily connected to Christianity. I didn't, I didn't connect pieces in that way. Um, and I just, I wanted to put that whole past in a box. I didn't want to touch it ever again. But over the course of, honestly, the past couple of years, but really strongly the past like six months or so, it has come into like greater and greater awareness within me that you actually can't just leave a religion 
that you were fully programmed into and not have to actively do deprogramming work. Um, so I've had to really consciously go back to a lot of those original teachings and, and with my adult consciousness, recognize the impact of those things on me. And so I might cry. Um, it's really been a huge grief process for me of realizing the ways in which I was limited in my ability to immerse myself in life and in the world. And there were a lot of things within myself I was not allowed to acknowledge or explore. Um, there are a lot of things about myself and about the world that I have been taught to judge and condemn. Um, and even though I have consciously chosen different beliefs deep, deep in my subconscious mind, part of me has still subscribed to those things, at least for me. It's like I have, I have found this like open, loving acceptance for other people, but I still am in restriction within self. Um, because that fear, that fear of damnation, right, is really the fear of, of being unworthy of love. It's that I will be unloved and I will be cast out. Um, I even remember being taught that like the worst part of hell is not the punishment. It's, it's being cast out of God's love. And so on some deep level within me, I have believed that ever since I left the church, I have been unloved. I have been unworthy of love and unworthy of care. And I've moved through the world as if that's a reality. And so there's a lot of grief within me for the, the development that I did not get to have as a child, the things that were not allowed to just blossom within me. And then there's also a lot of grief for the time that I have lost. Um, not just the childhood time, but I'm 27 now. And these were meant to be some of the most formative years of my life. And I suppose that they were, but there are a lot of ways in which I held myself back from truly getting to explore and discover who I am and who I want to be on my terms. And it feels like this chapter, beginning now at 27, is the beginning of me first doing that inquiry, of deciding who is it that I want to be and what are my values. It's the first time I'm really allowing myself to do that exploration without asking who am I supposed to be or what is the right way to be. But I will tell you what, I'm haunted by those questions. And I have to battle those on the regular. Every time I reach a, a crisis point or a decision point within myself, I'm always trying to find what is the right answer. Who am I supposed to be? Somebody tell me, right? When I first moved to Los Angeles, I noticed Scientology buildings everywhere. And since that time, they've become less conscious. But for the first like couple of weeks that I was here, it was everywhere. Every corner I turned, it was the Scientologists. And it was driving me crazy because I was in the midst of trying to, to undo some of this this like hierarchical thinking in my brain, this idea that there's a right way to be and that some authority figure can tell you who to be and what rules to follow. And if you can just perform goodness and rightness, then you can be worthy of love. I was trying to deinstall that programming from within me and it was so brutally painful. And I was like, I just want someone to tell me what to do. And I would walk past these Scientology churches and I would be like, you know what? If all else fails, I can always just join those. Which obviously I don't really mean, but when we leave a high control environment, it's really deeply uncomfortable to become your own authority figure because you've been so conditioned 
to turn to outside authority and to, to um, override anything that you might think or feel in favor of what the authority figure says is, is correct. Um, and so it's so uncomfortable to unlearn that, that a lot of times we crave going back to these high control environments. We're like, oh, I'll just, I'll join a different cult where someone else will tell me what to do and that's how I'll navigate my life. Um, and there's definitely a part of me that sometimes desires that. Um, sorry, I was just making sure this was still recording. <sighs> okay, sorry, I need a second after that. <laughs> um, so yes, that's, that's the deep work that I have been doing and coming to terms with with how little I, I know of myself um, and how there are many parts of myself that have gone unexplored. And truthfully, I'm at a point where I know I need to start exploring some of these other things, but I'm very afraid to um, because I still don't want to be bad. I'm afraid to venture out of my current comfort zone because I'm afraid to become somebody that my past self would judge as bad. Um, and I'm afraid to challenge those, those paradigms within myself. Um, even though I know that they're not real, on, a, on an embodied level, that threat feels very real. And the, the shame when it, when it is triggered feels like dying. Like it feels like a genuine threat to my survival. Um, so I've also been obviously processing a lot of anger at having been taught these things, not for a little bit from specific people, but not even the specific people who taught them to me, but the system of it, realizing that what once was a message of love, of unconditional radical love and liberation has been co-opted by this movement that is just patriarchy and and spiritual control teaches people not to trust their bodies not to trust their intuition but just to listen to the head of an institution right to listen to a male god who tells you what is right and what is wrong and threatens punishment like that idea that we make god in our own image not that god made us in his like that is so real we we made this punishing patriarchal god because we live in a patriarchal society and to be a good Christian is to, to be a good Christian woman is to be a good subordinate to a man. And that was really uncomfortable for me to come to terms with because that is so the opposite of all of my values. But I was, I was programmed to be like the weapon of the very ideologies that I hate. And that's a really, like that is a painful realization to recognize that those things exist within you, not outside of you. But it's also necessary work, right? Because that's exactly how these systems work. They don't exist outside of us. They exist within us. They have been internalized and we each and every single one of us uphold them. Unless we do this active unlearning we will unconsciously uphold these institutions. And so it's, it's my personal work, it is my personal growth to move through these things, but it is also my like political duty, truthfully, to do so. My, my, my role in the collective. So 
it's been really intense and it's funny because I talk to friends now and they're like, oh, what have you been up to? And I'm like, I don't know that this is a casual conversation to be having. Um, so yes, I guess that, that has been the journey of Christianity with me, or at least that's where I'm at in my processing of it right now. And there's a lot of beauty that I still find in that, in that religion and in that faith. I think practices like baptism are actually really beautiful. The idea of submerging yourself in water and using the water to cleanse you of everything, of, of every experience in your past and allowing yourself to emerge brand new, born again, right? That's really beautiful as a practice. I don't think that should be born again into a religion, right? I think that's a personal practice of absolving yourself of the past and allowing yourself to move forward with intention from the present. That's a beautiful practice. I also think that I've come to understand actually that I think a, a practice of confession is also very beautiful. The idea of, because it's shame, right? When we carry guilt and shame, it's something that we tend to keep in secret and shame thrives in secret. It lives in the darkness. So when we're able to confess the things that we are ashamed of to another person who's willing to hold neutral acceptance of us and say, you are still worthy of love, even if you are ashamed, or even if you've done things that you are ashamed of or that you regret or that you know were unkind or thoughtless or, or whatever, that you are still worthy of love, that you are redeemable. That's beautiful. Do I think that should be a single priest? No, <laughs> definitely not. But there are practices within that that I still find really beautiful. And I still love Jesus as a teacher. I really do. And I stand by a lot of the messaging that that he brought forth, though I do, I do not like to associate myself with that religion anymore because I don't think the things that they teach in churches are very in line with Jesus' original messaging. And that is frustrating to me. It's frustrating to me to watch people say that they stand for unconditional love when they in fact stand for judgment and othering and control and hatred. And it pains me to watch the most beautiful and pure-hearted aspects of people get weaponized against them with guilt and shame and fear to turn them into weapons of, of whiteness and of patriarchy and capitalism. And it makes me really frustrated. And I know, too, from my own process of deconditioning that it's, it's delicate work to bring people out of that. So I guess to anyone who might still be listening to this, who that this is not your personal story, you're not necessarily connected to religion in that way, or you come from a different religion and you look around at like the influence of fundamentalist Christianity in our political system and in our culture, and you just wonder like, how could people be so hateful? I don't believe that those people are hateful at their core, but they have been really deeply confused by mess like disharm disharmonious messaging. Um, and I, I think I talked about this a little bit recently, but it's like in, in Christianity, they teach you things that are paradoxes. They teach you things that don't make sense together. Like 
God is unconditionally loving, but also God will punish you for not being perfect. Like these two truths don't actually go together, but you're taught them simultaneously. And when you're supposed to hold these two things that that are discordant, they don't actually go together. It causes disharmony in the brain. So the more you are like forced to accept things that don't make sense together and anytime you ask questions about it and you're like, well, how, how come this or why this and and you're shamed or um or told that you're too doubtful and you're told to just trust god you're told to override your critical thinking mind in that space and just blindly accept things and you're told to, to you're told to have blind faith right um so people who are really deep in that ideology like they have been really deeply manipulated by the ideology itself um, or by the teachings itself. And they're very confused. They're very in shame. Um, and they're taking out that shame through hatred and control, right? They, and they really genuinely believe that there is evil in the world. Um, and they believe that there's, there's a devil here trying to lead us all astray, right? And it's going to ruin our lives. And they're taught that the devil is gay people or trans people or, you know, the, the left or whoever, it doesn't matter. Like that ideology can be used to, to turn you against anything. Um, and, uh, you know, in that respect, it's kind of genius really to say that there's an invisible monster and the face of it changes all the time as a manipulation tactic. You can slap that on anything, anything, anything you don't like. You can tell that whole group of people that's the devil. Um, and they'll, they'll all turn right towards it with you. So I think that's what I see a little bit with like, you know what, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but it doesn't matter. The point is like, I, I see, I see the difficulty of it in our culture and I don't know what my role is in this space other than to share my story and how much this ideology has impacted me and just the experience of being myself in the world and the the depth of pain that I have had to move through. And truthfully, my experience was actually very mild in comparison to what a lot of other people have experienced in, in that religion. Um, but I can tell you that it has really deeply damaged me and I, I don't know how long I will be dealing with the ramifications of it. Um, I, I hope not much longer. I hope I find full liberation from it. But I've also come to accept that you can't always outrun your, your original programming. Sometimes you have to live alongside it um, and consciously choose to rewrite it in real time. Um, it is my hope, though, that I... It's my hope that I can I can do something to support anyone who's looking to leave that space or who's struggling to to move through some of the deprogramming work who's who's parsing through some of those beliefs and having trouble deinstalling them because it's not easy and it's sneaky right because we'll think right i i let go of the idea that being gay is bad but the problem is not the surface level belief the problem is the framework with it it's that i believe that there is bad and there is good and that's a sneaky framework because you'll just substitute it for other things then you'll say meat is bad and and veganism is good right or then you'll say like 
<laughs> any number of things. You can insert anything in there. You can say this political belief is bad and this one is good and anyone who believes this is evil and anyone who believes this is righteous. Um, it, it's it's a, a widely applicable framework. Um, so it's really difficult to deinstall and and our minds love certainty. We love it. We love the black and white thinking. So it's an uncomfortable process too. You have to get really comfortable in grayness and in not knowing um, and not assuming the answer, right? And instead opening up to inquiry and saying, what does that mean? What does it mean for me to entertain that? What if I sink a little bit, of, a little bit deeper into this ambiguity? Um, so yes, I don't know where this work will continue, but it's my hope to create spaces for people who are moving out of some of these ideologies um, and to find support amongst one another because it's not easy. But it's very important work, both for you in order to liberate yourself and find your full freedom of expression um, outside any sort of dogma. And also it's very important for us collectively and, and politically to find ways to think for ourselves and to deeply love and honor ourselves so that we can deeply love and honor all people. There are no bad people. <laughs> There's a lot of people acting out their pain, but there are no bad people. And anytime we subscribe to that black and white either or thinking, there's always someone on the other end who we are saying, you are fundamentally bad. You are other from me. It's separation. And that that's, all, that's always going to be problematic because then we're always saying that you are less human than me, right? You are less lovable than me. Or I am less lovable than you, right? We're always creating this separation when really we need to come together in respect and understanding and, and love for one another and love for our differences and navigating those spaces of our differences with compassion. Anyway. All right. Well, I didn't mean to talk for 40 minutes, but that's that. There's the episode on Christianity. It's a little bit heavy. Um, there will be some more things and some lighter things to come. Um, but that's why you haven't heard from me for a while. I've been navigating some really heavy stuff. <laughs> um, I will still do an episode on psychedelics. I know I promised that to some of you. And, um, I also think moving forward, I would really like to bring on some guests onto the podcast. Both, there are some people who have also done deprogramming work that I would really love to bring on, but just there are some really beautiful thinkers and artists that I have my eyes on whose stories are so inspiring to me and their energies are so inspiring and they have helped me to, um, to rise up within myself. And so if I could invite some of them on here and share their stories with you as well, that would really, that would mean the world to me. Um, because I think there's some really special people. So you'll be hearing some more in the future and it won't be six months between episodes anymore. Um, but thank you to everyone who reached out in the in-between to let me know um, that you were waiting for more. Um, that really, I heard every single one of you and I felt the nudge every time. Um, it just took me a little bit to get ready. Um, okay, I'm so sorry for the amount that I say um in this, but... I am going to keep this a free-flowing space um, for, for my ease for a little bit, and hopefully I'll start editing those out of my speech. 
All right. If you have any questions or any feedback or anything that you would like to be... Also, if you guys like want to write in, I could read letters on here. Um, if you have any questions or something that you want a response to, you can email me at elizadaylight at gmail.com. And I will definitely get back to you either via email or on here. Um, thank you all so much if you have been listening or watching. I really, really appreciate your presence here with me. Um, and I hope you have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day.